term prophets of the land and uh, prophets of the land pretty much call it as they see it and uh, say you know what they think and they're they don't have a God plan prophets of the land don't um, prophets of the Lord of course are going to speak insight the problem with the prophets of the Lord and this is what you always deal with with this is usually when things are bad the prophets of the Lord are prophesying good and when things are bad, good, the prophets of the Lord are prophesying things that are bad. And that's part of what you deal with. Most of the time that when you look at a prophet, you know, if you look at like um, when they called for a prophet in the Old Testament and the king said, no, I don't want that guy to come because he won't say anything good. Right? So you can look, if you look long enough, you can find somebody to say what you want them to say. Right? It's kind of like Bible translations. If you don't like that translation, just keep looking. You might find one that'll say what you want it to say, right? So the prophet of the Lord, what God is saying, won't always line up with what's going on in society at that time, okay? Because God's outlook is not just in the moment. God's outlook is continuous. It's the future, where things are going, where things, where he sees things uh, ending up. And so uh, I I just I feel like my part that I want to do at least with you guys and with our congregation and and of course that's a lot of people online that look to our ministry here and uh, a lot of people that come here locally that um, you know what is God saying we're you know we, back at the beginning of the year or actually it was before the beginning of the year the Lord gave us a specific word about this year and what was going to be happening. And we didn't even know about any of this other stuff that was going on and that was taking place, stuff that was coming out of China, things that were getting ready to happen. And I want to read this verse to you out of Psalm 115. And uh, I'm just going to highlight through some things. So I'm going to jump around in some Bible verses. And uh, I don't like to have three points in a poem for you today or anything like that. So I don't even have a title except calling it Prophetic Insights. And, um, but uh, just to talk about where things are at, I really work hard to stay what's happening in the church. That's where I'm in, what's happening spiritually. I want you to know that about 30% of churches are closing down this year. 30% uh, are going to shut down and not reopen. A lot of the bigger churches are really struggling right now to even get reopened. They can't, they're struggling to figure out how to do that, when they can do that whether they're going to be able to do it. And it, that, that I'm not, Look, I'm not happy about that. But here's how God is going to move in the last days. It's not through the mega-sized churches, but it's the apostolic churches that God's going to move. When I say apostolic, I don't mean that there's necessarily an apostle. But if you look at an apostolic church, if you want to write a note on this, you go to Acts 13, you can read about the apostolic church. The apostolic church was a church that gathered and sent, gathered, and sent, gathered, and sent. And so what, what we, to be a true apostolic church, what has to happen for us is we have to gather, but we also have to send. We have to have sending opportunities. We have to be sending out. You know, a lot of these young guys are going to, these young ministers, they're going to be gone. They're leaving. They're, some of them are leaving this year, and they're taking off. They're going to go on the mission field. They're going to be starting planning new churches and doing, having miracle ministries in foreign lands, and we have people that we've been sending. This is an apostolic, when I say apostolic, I'm not saying that this, I'm an apostle, I'm saying that this church has an apostolic function. The church at Antioch was an apostolic church. 
So it had a lot of ministry gifts that were coming in and out. We're really blessed here. I mean, look, we're in, you know, we're not in Saginaw. We're in Wheeler, right? Most people, you tell them where, they say, where do you go to church? Amazing Grace. They say, where's that? You say, it's in Wheeler. They say, where's that, right? So it's not like that everybody knows about what's happening here. But I like, you know, when Dave Williams was with us last year, he said, this is one of the, the, the best kept secrets in central Michigan. And the reason is because we are not just a gathering organization, church, but we are ascending. We believe in moving the legacy outside of what we're doing. And so not just in planning churches, but going into world missions and helping, you know, when we meet somebody that they feel like they want to plant a church, we'll help them the best that we can to be able to do it. But we're more about raising up ministry gifts and sending people to do what God's called them to do. So we have like, I, I have like, I have like six different families I'm mentoring right now that are going to be, all of them are going to be doing something in ministry here within the next five years. And uh, they're already doing ministry, but I'm talking about they're going to be going out and doing ministry. And so, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. It's hard for us as a church because we'd rather just all be a gathering, right? Let's just get everybody together, get everybody together, get everybody, let's get as many people as we can. Let's add, keep adding, adding, adding. But I can't live before the Holy Spirit and before God's throne feeling comfortable with that when all we're doing is bringing, gathering people together. For God so loved the world, he didn't gather people together. He, 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 he gave his life and then he sent them. Get out, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So, but God spoke to me last year and said that this would be a year of supernatural increase. And so I know people like go, you got to be kidding me, man. This has been really crazy and the economy's weird. And, and uh, you know, I personally, I, I'm just throw a couple of my, you know, I'm not going to say this is a thus saith the Lord, but I'll give you my personal opinion. I believe that this whole virus was to create economic chaos. I personally believe that. That's all it's, that's really what it's doing is just creating economic chaos for our world. It's put people's jobs in jeopardy. It's put people trying to figure out financially whether they're going to have their retirement when it's all over with. I mean, it's done all kind. All it is is trying to create economic I mean, it's bad enough that people have died, but also now it's starting to affect families, schools, all the different things. You hear it all. I know, I know you guys listen to all that stuff or read it or hear about it. It's created economic chaos in the world, not just in the United States, okay? So, uh, and, that, and that's important because the United States is one of the highest funding organizations, church-wise, in the world. So you hurt the church in the United States you heard a lot of world missions. I know pastors that have completely pulled their world missions and are not supporting any world missions because they're just trying to keep the lights on. That's not a good thing. Can I get a good amen? Because the world needs the gospel. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that, look, the, there's still a whole bunch of people. We're preaching to nations primarily that have already heard the gospel. There are nations that need to hear the gospel, need to have the gospel translated into their language so that they can receive that gospel. And the only way that can happen is, is that we got to send people, and the only way we could send people is if we have the money to do it. Amen. So verse 14 of chapter 115 says, The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You and your children. You are blessed of the Lord. Say that with me. I am blessed of the Lord. I'm blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. 
The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither that any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So this verse is really tied into a series of messages which are all available online on our iTunes and podcasts and things like that that you can listen to, but about how that God wants to bring supernatural increase to his people. Because what, what we're, it's going back to something Stephen said earlier, what God is doing is shifting our thinking, trying to shift our thinking, that he is the supplier, not the government. The government is not your source of supply. Now, here's the thing. You are definitely the government source of supply. Take you out and what happens? Goodbye government, right? Take your taxes out. A lot of you guys had to do that this last week. You know, paid your taxes out. Take that away. You're not, nobody's paying taxes. Schools close. Economy collapses. Are you all here? So you're vital, right? Your prosperity is vital to the, to the success economically of this nation. Amen. Right. Even I could figure that out. Right. So you see what we but, but my point with that is this, that, look, don't let it reverse itself because that's what it tries. That's what's trying to happen is it's trying to reverse. You know, there's a well, we're going to give more stimulus money. We, well, really, look, we should be looking to God for the real stimulation here. Amen. Not looking to the government for stimulus. Amen. Because the truth is, and I, I know most of you know this, but we are definitely writing checks that our great, great, great grandchildren are going to have to pay for. So it's better for us to look to God who's our source of supply. And God can supernaturally supply in any environment. See, God wants us to know that supernatural increase comes from him, not from the U.S. government, not from the economy. And in, the, in uh, Genesis, when you study this out, and I encourage you to do this, you look at what happened with Isaac, that Isaac was in, he was in Gerar, everybody's going to Egypt, running down to the place where they've been delivered from. They're going back down there because famine is in the land, because difficulty is in the land. And when they go down there, God talks to Isaac, who seeks the Lord, and God says, look, I don't want you to go down there like everybody else is going down there. He says, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, you sow in the land you're in. Now, see, it almost sounds, it sounds ridiculous to the natural mind. But remember that, that Romans says the natural mind is at enmity with God. What that means is, is that your mind, given its own resources without God, will come up with stuff that will take you away from God, not towards God. All right? So God's influence will bring us towards God and towards his plan and his prosperity. So you have this whole scenario that sets up for Isaac where he sows in a time of famine, which probably to all the people that stayed around there thought he's a nut. But the thing is, is that in that time of famine, he prospered. And God, it says that he create, it created a hundredfold. And look, and this is so cool because we don't, we don't really think of it this way. Like it says that he prospered and then he became very prosperous. So here's my point. 
When you live in a country that is not prospering and you are prospering, you're not only prosperous, but you're very prosperous. Because now you're a resource to help those who are not prospering, which is God's divine intent. Amen. So God wants us to be able, we're blessed to be a blessing. Say that with me. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so what God does is he blesses us so we can help other people who might be in difficulty, who might be going through, who may not have got all of this, you know, figured out where we're at and what's going on. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and uh, this morning it was. And uh, so I want to read this to you out of um, my notes because I want to say it exactly the way I got it. Pressure does not reveal faith. You know, a lot of times we think that way because, you know, it talks about the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. What pressure does, what the difficulty, now be, get ready, just keep an open mindset with me right now. What the difficulty that you're dealing with right now in our country and what we're all dealing with and what the church is dealing with universal is, is that it's not revealing where their faith is, it's revealing where their identity is. It's revealing what their identity is. Who you are will always influence what you can believe. I'll just let that set in. See, pressure doesn't, even though you might use that with a marker with your faith, it's really about what you believe about you. What do you believe about you and the God that is in you? And when we're under pressure, especially a pressure... All of this that's going on in our world right now is trying to pressure the identity of the United States. And it's trying to pressure the identity. Look, you may not believe in socialism, but you got family members that are thinking socialism isn't a bad thing. And I'm going to tell you, it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. But, you know, and, and look, I'm not, and, and I'm not picking at anybody. I know folks probably online are like, well, I'm glad I didn't come today. <laughs> but listen, when you're $80,000 in debt in college, yeah. debt, and the government is promising that they will pay your debt off for you, socialism sounds pretty good because it's a way out. But to me, it's pressure. Because what the deal is, is that that pressure is trying to change that you don't think you can come up with $80,000 over the next several years to pay off your debt. You don't think your God's big enough to help you pay. That's good preaching, Pastor. Listen, either God's big enough or he's not big enough. Either faith works or it don't work. See, all of this is to push the identity. The U.S. is under pressure to change its identity. You know, 20, 25 years ago, we would have laughed at some of this stuff and said, no way that would ever happen here. No way we would ever hear anybody say that. No way that that would be a possibility. But now it is because people's identity are suspect to the pressure of the day. Throw everybody into their homes, lock them all down, tell them they can't go. I'm, I, look, I'm not being political. I'm just being observational right now. Lock everybody down, put everybody away, tell them they can't go to church, tell them they can't do stuff. You got to stay at home, stay with the same people, don't touch, don't go no, near anybody, you know, and put them all locked up and then let all that fear build up inside people's lives that they could get the virus and die from it. 
Let it all build up. That fear begins to shape the mentality of people. People begin to think differently. They begin to look at life differently. They begin to look at going to Meyer differently. They be, you've been at Meyer without a mask. You know how people look at you. Not good. You're almost like a leper. Unclean, unclean, get away. And look, I'm not ridiculing the mask. That's not what I'm talking about. So if that's what you think I'm saying, you're totally missing the point. What I'm saying is, is that all of this is changing identity. And as identity changes, what you begin to feel like is you don't have any control and you have to trust someone other than God to take control. My Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him and incline your heart to Him and He will direct your... He'll tell you where you need to go. You say, well, our business is closing down our job. Well, maybe if we listened to the Lord, He'd have told us and we could have got out of there before all that mess happened. Maybe God was trying to tell us to get out and we didn't want to listen. Are you listening to me? I know people are losing jobs. And I, look, I'm not saying that you're missing it. That's not, like I said, don't interpret something I'm saying to be a, an accusation. That's not what it is. What I'm saying is, is that even in a time of famine, God directed Isaac exactly what to do. Maybe what we've got to do is get on our knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Instead of bless what I'm already doing. Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to deal with this? How do you want me to function? See, pressure, the pressure, the financial pressure is starting to come now. So here comes the pressure. What's that going to do? It's going to shape. Now, all of this is a prelude just kind of showing what it's going to be like when the Antichrist shows up. Because one day that's going to happen. That's not going to happen in our time, but it's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to show up. And you know what he's going to say? His word to everybody is, I can fix this for you. Right? I'm from the IRS. I'm here to help you. <laughs> right? I mean, you get what I'm saying. You know, I'm from the government. I'm here to, I'm not anti-government. I think we have the best government in all, the governmental system in all the world. I absolutely, I believe in the United, I believe in the Constitution of the United States of America. Yeah. Amen. People think, and I, the Lord told me this this morning, I'll say it exactly the way he said it to me. People are blaming politicians for their problems. The politicians didn't get there unless you put them there. So if you want to look at anybody, it's the people. That if we've, we've lost it as the people, that's what we've lost. It's not the politician. You know, we... And I'm not talking about the donkey or the elephant, Okay. Your persuasion. I'm talking about, listen, those things couldn't happen unless people got behind it happened in a majority. Or those who should have spoke up didn't. Which brings me to my point. You better get out and vote this year. You better get out. You better pray. And don't just go by what everybody's telling you you need to do or what by what Facebook's telling you or what Twitter's saying or Instagram. You get on your knees. You ask God, God, who should I vote for? on every level, and then you go out and vote accordingly. Amen. 
Pressure doesn't reveal faith, it, it reveals our identity, what, who we believe, what we believe about us. You can only, you will only be able, listen, you are, who you are will always influence what you can believe. It will always. Dr. Kenneth Hagin tells this great story about, um, he was looking at, um, when he was believing God for his physical healing, um, he was an invalid in bed, and he read there in James where it says, the effectual fervent prayer in James 5 of a righteous man avails much. And so he's like, well, look, if I can do that, if it says it avails much, then I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that I'm going to get up out of this bed. And immediately he heard a voice say, now I don't know whether it was the devil or it was just that natural man of, of our lives, but this voice said to him, well, that would work, except you're not a righteous man. Because look, you yelled at your grandmother yesterday, right? You have temper tantrums. You're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing this. And you know what? He said he felt all the faith, begin, all his belief in that verse begin to go. And then something else spoke up. It said, look up the word righteous man. Look, where, look at every verse you can find. Well, he got over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And it says there that he made him, God, who made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not about your sin. It's about his righteousness and his sinlessness, that Jesus committed no sin. So he said... When he saw that verse, he all of a sudden now knew who he was. Now watch how that affects how he can believe. Because he laid there in that bed as an invalid and he said, you know, that's a lie. I won't receive that because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because it's not about who I am. It's about who he is in me that I believe in him and I trust him. And so because of what he has said, if, he, if God Almighty in heaven says I'm righteous and God Almighty in heaven says that a righteous man's prayers avail much, then I believe that I'm going to receive exactly what I'm praying because I'm a righteous man according to the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Amen. Brother Hagen got up out of that bed, was totally healed, and uh, lived to a ripe old age in the 80s, uh, over 80 years old, and uh, it was totally, absolutely miraculous. Doctors said there was no way he would live beyond his, by a certain date. See, who you are, that's what's under attack. That's what's under attack. See, I get concerned, part of my concern as a pastor is is that, you know, um, a lot of us as Christians, you know, we've said things like, well, God's going to use this to bring people back to him. He's going to use this to bring revival in the land. I mean, you've heard that. I'm, I've heard it. You've heard it. And, uh, you know, and, and look, I do believe that. But, but always, you got to remember this. And don't forget this. Before there is an outpouring, there is a repentance. See, we want God to pour out his spirit on our sinfulness. He ain't going to do it. We're like, well, we'll just keep doing whatever we're doing. We want God to meet us in what we're already doing, not God say, no, surrender everything you're doing to me and I'll meet you in that. I'm not real sure that we're at a place yet in the church where revival can happen because I'm not sure, I, I, I know we're looking more, people are looking more towards God, 
But I'm not convinced at this point that we've layered through, we've cut through the things that are keeping us from God. You say, well, I want a verse to back that up. Go with me to Acts chapter 3. I love to give you a verse. Of course, it's easy for me to set you up because I know what I'm preaching. So, Look at verse, um, verse 19, chapter 3, book of Acts. So, this man is healed, you know, he's miraculously healed, he's set free, he's up dancing, praising God, I mean, it's amazing. He's been lame from his mother's womb, and... Uh, you know, people are asking what's going on, and so Peter's talking to all of them, and he says in verse, he tells them, listen, here's what needs to, here's what needs to happen. Verse 19, repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say times of refreshing come and then you repent and sins are, you know, you convert. It says times of repent, the repentance. The, and when we talk about repentance, we're not talking about, we're not talking about regret. You know, repent, regret is not repentance. Regret is I'm sorry that I did that. Repentance is I turn away from doing that and won't do it again. That's what real repentance is. So, you know, if I regret it, I feel really bad. If I regret it, I'm trying to feel better about me, right? I'm trying to feel better about me. When I repent, I realize how God views me as I've turned away from it and turned to Him. I'm no longer looking at what I did, but I'm looking to Him. See, when you repent, you're not turning, you're not just turning away from something, you're turning to something. And you're not turning... You're not just turning away from that sin to another sin or to avoid. You're turning to the one who has the answers, to the one who gives strength, to the one who brings healing, to the one who brings help. That's where you're turning to Christ. That's what real repentance is. Repentance isn't about crying. That's regret. Repentance is about making a decision that I'm no longer going that way. This is the way I'm going. It's like the one guy said in the book of in the book of Acts, he said, as for me and my house, right? We're going, that's actually Joshua said that. But, but the guy that was the jailer came in and, you know, wanted to know what to happen. What did they tell him? Repent. So have we gone through all of this? And I'm not asking you a rhetorical question. Have we gone through the first seven months of the year and have we really changed that much? Now, I'm not asking you to answer that. Has our attitude changed? Has the way that we view life changed? Has our identity, where is our identity? Who are we putting our hope and our trust in today? Where are we thinking about the And you could tell that by what you're thinking about the future. Because your identity, of course will reveal your faith. And when your faith is revealed, that'll tell us a lot, that'll tell, not us, but you, a lot about what you think about where you're going. 
You know, the churches, if you look at the book of Revelation, you, and you want to know, you know, as you look at those seven churches that are there, the church that exists today is the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea were people that said, we're good, I'm good. You know, that's big words in our, hey, I'm, you know, can I pray for you? No, I'm good, right? No, I'm, I'm okay, right? No, I'm good. I'm, everything's good. Everything's great. No, don't, all right? So what happens to the Laodicean church is God says, look, you're not good. You might think you're good, but you're not good. And the issue wasn't that God was going, well, here's what's wrong with you. You know, you got all, he's saying, look, you're not looking to me. You're not trusting me. You're not, your eyes aren't on me. Your eyes are on how much wealth you've got, which could go away. Your eyes are on all these things that you feel like you can. And see, what God is saying to the Laodicean church is he says, and he didn't like leave it open and say, shame on you and you guys are bad and you did all this wrong. God says, so guys, come to me and buy from me what lasts. This will last you forever. Turn to me. This will give you, you know, I, because uh, people send me stuff all the time. and I know they send it to you too. And, uh, you know, there's a pastor in Kentucky that's put out this prophecy and I responded to it online and uh, with some responses from some other people that I that I found to be accurate. Um, about October was going to be horrible, that the whole world's economics are going to collapse in October and it's going to be devastating. The U.S. is going down. The world's going down. Everything's going, and, 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 and he talks about that he saw this all in a dream. And I'm not disputing that he didn't. I'm not disputing that at all. But what I will tell you this, if you ever hear from someone that is a real prophet that God is trying to use, when God speaks, he doesn't just tell you what's wrong. He tells you how to get to where what's right. This pastor in Kentucky doesn't give any options. He basically comes out and says, this is all going to happen. This is what's going to take place. This is how bad it's going to be. You look at every Old Testament prophet, the true prophets, when they prophesied, they said, and God says, if you'll turn to me, then I will help you through this and we will get. But he never said, it's too late. I'll tell you when it's too late, when the rapture happens. Until the rapture happens, you know, whatever your, or the second coming or whatever your persuasion is, look, until that happens, it's not too late. So when God's speaking, he's always going to be saying, look, turn to me. I want you. I want a relation. God isn't rejecting people. He's drawing people to him. Amen. He said there, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be completely blotted out when the times of refreshing, see refreshing comes after, shall come from the presence of the Lord. And watch what happens when we go through that time of refreshing, then you get to verse 21, and it says, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. So Christ is going to sit in heaven till the, one translation says, till the rest times of restoration. So here's a three-point process for you if you want to think about it. Repent, refresh, Restore. Repent, refresh, restore. God, He doesn't restore, and then that causes repentance. He gets us to a place where we repent, 
we get refreshed, we get built up, renewed, edified, filled with the Spirit, and then we walk out because we have a new identity, right? Now we can take back, you know, like the song we used to sing at camp meeting, I went to the enemy's camp, what I do? I took back what he stole from me, right? You can't take, look, if you go down to the enemy's camp and you're still living and doing all your wrong stuff, the enemy will bring that up and you're out of there. Well, you know, you're, you're not a tither. You're not a, and I'm not, I'm not picking at anybody. I'm just saying, or you're not, you know, you got bitterness in your heart or you're, you're fearful or you're, you're not nice to your wife all the time. Or The enemy knows about stuff that you and I do. And if we don't know who we are, he can use any of that at any time to try to bring us down to say, you can't believe God. And if you don't think you can, look, if you don't think you're worthy to receive, you're not going to receive. It's a crapshoot then. You're just hoping you will. Boy, Pastor, that is such good preaching. Yeah, thank you. So restoration, restoration comes out of times of refreshing. See, when the church, when the the outpouring of the Spirit is happening on the church, and it is in measure, but I mean, it's not where it needs to be yet. And, and, And we should keep believing God for it. Amen. Let's not just settle. Let's say, look, Lord. And that means that I'm just saying, look, God, I put it all on the table. I mean, a lot of times my prayer life is like, look, Lord, Everything's out. Search me, like the, the psalmist said. Search me, God. If there's any wicked thing here, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to live that way. I want to be totally sold, surrendered, converted to what you want me to be. Not that I'm living in a guilt complex or some kind of a, a, a demeaning attitude, thinking I'm some kind of worm. I don't believe any of that. I think, look, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but I am subject to this life and to this world. And sometimes things creep in my life that, I don't necessar- that God doesn't necessarily approve of. And what I got attitudes about people, attitudes about life. And what I got to do is say, Lord, search me. I'm not going to let that attitude stand in the way of where I need to go with you. I want the refreshing. How many of you want a refreshing in your life? Now, look, that's great that we do. And I do. I mean, I do, too. But are we willing to surrender to whatever that would be? Or are we going to put guidelines to it? So what does that mean? Conditions. Okay, God, now look, I want you to refresh me, but the only way I, look, the way I want you to, this is how I want it to look. What if God's refreshing is for you to just knock you out on the floor? You know, they did in John Wesley's meetings. They didn't even know what to call it. Wesley would be preaching and the power of God had hit somebody and then bam, they're down on the floor, just laying there in the, in the dirt not moving. Wesley said one time in a meeting, he said, look, he says, somebody says, well, was that the devil took him out or was that God? He says, I don't know. When they wake up, we'll find out. <laughs> they woke up and went, glory to God. Well, so there you go. So what if it's something that totally crosses our level of pride and our personal pride in our life? I mean, what if it was for you? I'm not saying any of this. I'm not trying to throw mind seeds out to you for this. What if it's like you're one of those people who never cries and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on you and you just start crying and you can't stop. 
And I mean, people are looking at you and they're laughing at you because you're crying so much and you just cry more because they're, they're not laughing at you, they're laughing with you because it's the Holy Spirit. What if you're one of those people who never shows emotion? You're just very stoic about, and that's great. I'm, I'm very stoic about stuff. And so what if you're one of those people and God just uncontrollably comes on you and you start giggling and laughing and you can't stop? You're resisting stopping. Now, God, I want you to refresh me, but listen, don't make me do that. John Osteen, who was my pastor for years because he was just the one I knew had the most knowledge. This is Joel's dad. And John Osteen, he said that when he was seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you know, he was Baptist and he, he just didn't know much about it. And so he had heard about this meeting that was going on. And uh, so he decided that uh, he would go to this meeting where there was a spirit-filled meeting and and the power, they were hearing great testimonies of what was happening, and people were getting filled with the Spirit. So John Osteen says, well, I'm going to go, and, uh, but I'm going to show up late, and I'm going to sit in the back, okay? So he's telling God about all this. So he gets there to the service, and the service is going on. It's packed out. He says, well, I don't know where to sit. And the usher says, well, you go up to that door over there, and then you'll be able to find a seat. And, of course, guess where that door opened up to? Front row. Now, there's a Baptist pastor sitting on the front row of the church. His pride is just crumbling. Then he told the Lord, he said, Lord, now listen, I want to be filled with the Spirit, and they're going to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit, but please don't let it be one of those overweight Pentecostal women come pray for me. That's what he said. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, look, I'm, not, I'm just telling you what he said, okay? Don't let it be one of the, and he said this big, he had, when it was time for prayer, he walked up to be prayed for, and who's coming after him? He said this big, overweight, African-American woman who is loud and carrying on comes right up to him and lays hands on him and drags him across that altar, and I mean, and he got filled with the Holy Ghost, but he said, Here's what John Osteen said. Don't tell God how to do stuff in your life. Because what God's going to do is the exact opposite of what you ask him to do. Because he's not going to let you be his boss. Amen. All right, I'm going to stop. But I want you to go to Isaiah 60 with me real quick and I'll wrap up. I have so much more to say. You'll just have to come another time. Isaiah 60. So where are we right now in, in, in our church? Where's Amazing Grace at right now? And uh, I believe this is where the church is. This is the choice the church has to make. What's the first word in verse 1? Arise. Arise, right? That's the first word. Arise. Now, it doesn't say get up and leave. It says, arise and shine. It would only say to arise if that meant you were not up, right? You're down. You're down. Here's what, he, here's what I believe the Lord's saying. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, whether you can see that or not, the glory of the Lord 
is in you and on you. Okay? It is. Look, just because our natural mind can't see it, the glory of the Lord is upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and His glory, now watch this, shall be seen on you. Not on the building, on you. And what's going to happen? And the Gentiles, which is a representation of those who have no relationship with God. And the Gentiles shall come, not to your teaching, not to how perfect you are. What are they going to come to? The light of the glory that is upon you. And kings, leadership, the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around about you and see. Man, this is a word from the Lord for us. I'm telling you right now. Get your eyes up and look. Look at what's really happening in the world right now. Not, not what's the, what you're being told is happening. Look at what it, Get in the presence of the Lord and look at what is happening. The great opportunity... For people to come to Christ is right before us, right now. What happens in the next three years will shape the history of the next 60 years. What's about what's happening in the church right now. I'm not talking about what's happening in government. What's happening in the church. What's happening in your life in the next three years in our life will shape. It'll be... It'll be as great, I promise, listen, it'll be as great as what happened in the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts. It'll be just as great because the glory of the Lord shone upon those people and people saw that in their lives, this great conviction. And you, they would have meetings at 11 o'clock at night where young people would come and they couldn't get them out of the building. They would be laying like cordwood all across the floor where the glory of God had hit them. Repenting, they, the, the bars were shutting down because people were at, look, this all can happen in the church. This is all the arise and shine. You say, well, I don't know, pastor, could that really, look, it can happen. And the world needs it. My goodness. You kidding me? The world needs this. And Gentiles will come to your light, kings of the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around about and see all they gather to themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far. Your daughters shall be nursed. I'm taking that as a word for me. Shall be nursed. They're coming back to the things of God. Hallelujah. Completely. Now, I'm not just talking about becoming good people. I'm talking about becoming sold out to Jesus believers. Not just churchgoers. And you'll see and you'll flow together. Your heart shall fear and be enlarged because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you and the force, that's the wealth of the Gentiles, shall come unto you. And then he goes on and talks about what all that's going to look like. Now here's the thing. You know, as we, as we talk, as we wrap up here this morning, we can keep our head down, which that is everything the enemy is trying to do to the church. Put your head down. Get your focus off 
what's ahead of you. I believe that by August, the, the voice of the church is going to be, is going to exponentially increase. Now, that could mean that government's going to have more problems. That could mean that more restrictions are, it could mean, I'm not saying it will. It could mean that more restrictions. I mean, you think about California, what's happening there. You're not allowed to sing in church. Now they're starting to get to the place where they're going to forbid people to gather at all, period. You can't gather, you can't. Now, what we do, what we believe as a church, just so you guys understand this, I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of all this. Where we believe that government is contradicting Scripture, we refuse to follow. We refuse to follow. For example, I am pro-life. I refuse to agree with the government on its pro-choice agenda. I refuse it, okay? I absolutely refuse it. Somebody talked to me about it, I say, I don't, I don't agree with that. I just, absolutely, I don't believe it's biblical. I believe. All right, somebody says that we as believers can't sing in church. We're going to sing. If we got to do it through Mass, we'll do it, but we're going to do it. You're not going to tell us we can't. Because that's part of our Christian culture and biblical heritage. Amen. And look, I, I appreciate and, and I love all our people that are watching online, but people that watch, when you watch online, very few people can worship for 30 minutes online. And doing the morning breakfast dishes while you're watching the church service isn't going to cut it. It's just too easy to get unfocused. Now, you could be watching. I'm not picking at anybody, but I'm just saying, look, you could be watching, and uh, maybe you're one of those very few people who actually engage with what we're doing, all right, and are engaged in the worship online. But the truth is, there is a larger group of people that online is hard to stay engaged with. It, it's too many distractions. It just is. That's why you're, a lot of you are here, because you're like, I'm not worshiping at home anymore like that. I'm not doing that anymore. Why? Because it, it just, it, it didn't cut it. It, did, it wasn't just about the people, it, it, being around people. It's about being in a at, corporate atmosphere of people that have the same heart and surrender to the things of God. Are you all with me? I feel like I'm offending a bunch of people today. But I'm not trying to. I'm trying to help. That's all I'm trying to do, okay? I'm trying to help. So you, if you're watching and you go, no, man, I'm engaged. Man, when Chuck gets up and they start singing, I'm engaged. Look, I, we barely can get people in the building engaged for 30 minutes. I can't imagine. <laughs> and you know, we're so distracted today. Oh, wait, that's an email. Maybe I better, better, better check that real quick. Wait, well, I'll get back to what Pastor had to say. Let me go over there. Yeah. I get it. But there is something about the anointing of God that we have to be engaged to receive. Amen. The woman with the issue of blood who needed a miracle was not focused on anything else except getting to Jesus. And that's why she got her miracle. 
Amen. Because she said in herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Nothing was going to distract her. Nothing was going to move her from it. Nothing was going to stop her. Not a crowd of people. Not people yelling unclean. Nothing. And that's how we, I believe, have to become that centered and focused on the Lord. Not because, because God's presence is that hard to get to. It's because our world has influenced distracting us way too much. Amen, Pastor. Stop, please. Thank you. Okay, I will. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Where are you going in the next three years? What's your life going to be like in a month? I believe August will be a great time. It's going to be a powerful time for the church in, in proclamation. We're going to get more. We're going to be bold. We're not going to be going around. We're not being judgmental. We already know that all that doesn't work. We're not going to be condemning. We're going to present the love of Christ that transforms the world. To do that, we cannot be a fear-filled church. And to do that, we have to know who we are in Christ and what is ours. Can you say amen? amen? I'd like you to stand with me if you would. Hallelujah. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, I know that, uh, Lord, for all of us that at some area of this message today that you're speaking to us personally. Lord, that I think of the song we sing that says, if I ever needed you, Lord, I need you now. I, I want to believe that that's where our heart really is, Lord. But sometimes, God, it feels like that what I really am saying, if I ever need something, I just need it to get better. I just need it to get better, God. I just need life to get better. I need it to get back to what it was. I needed things to be some sense of normalcy to my life. And Lord, I just want that our heart would be so passionate, so, Lord, we would be so engaged with you that all we're saying is, I need you, God. I need you, Jesus. I need you to fill my life. I need you to fill every aspect. Make me to fill my life to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better son, a, a better daughter. I need you to fill my life, Lord God, with your divine, holy presence, Jesus. If I ever needed you. Or as we sang in the old hymn, I've had all of what I need, Lord. But what I really need is more of you. I need more of you. Father, I thank you that you are procuring a lasting legacy through your church. And even if it's with a remnant of people, you will see to it that unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ will continue forth, Lord, from generation to generation to generation until the end comes. And I thank you for that. And I give you honor for it, Lord God. Hallelujah.